0: few weeks we have been considering on Sunday morning beauty as part of the nature of God. And Bob has suggested that for us that the wonder of beholding is the fuel of worship. And our guest this morning, Brad Edgar, is going to continue that message with a story from the gospel that brings those themes of wonder and beauty and beholding to life. Um, Brad has been with us on Sunday mornings before. He's a friend to many here at Wellspring and has been a great support and resource to our staff, so thank you for joining us, and it's all yours. You. So I was told it took, oh, it's good, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for letting me be here. It really is a privilege. I really love coming here. Bob is a special friend to me and so are s- several people in this congregation, so thank you and Thinking about Bob and Justin this morning, I mean, they're, I've, I've been on that trip to Haiti several times, and uh, right now, probably, as we speak, they're, they're having Haiti church, and that is, uh, I mean, that is a highlight of that trip, and so uh, I'm thinking about them, a little bit jealous that they're down there, uh, but I'm excited for you all because they're going to come back with some vision and some neat things to share with you all, so pray for them. They have one more day, and I think they're coming back tomorrow, so uh, be with them. It's going to be a life-changing trip, as it always is down there in Haiti. Uh, you put up the scripture, please? So today we're uh, going to read from Luke 18, 35 through 43. Do you know what version that is? NIV? Okay. So I've got my big preacher's Bible, but I don't, I'm getting old, so I don't see very well, so I'm going to actually read it from my phone. That's pretty 21st century, isn't it, 2015? It's pretty awesome, right? Uh, Let me make sure I got the right version. Awesome. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, beautiful, cold Sunday morning. Um, I thank you for your presence here through the time of worship we just had, and now through the sharing of your word, Lord. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart, Lord, be pleasing unto you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I got a question. Have, Have you guys... Have you ever met anybody famous? Think about that for a second, because I'm going to ask you about it. But I'm going to tell you my story first. <clears throat> so uh, we were coming home just past Christmas from Los Angeles. My wife's family's from Los Angeles. And so we're coming home. We're in LAX. It's, it's right after New Year's, so it's just a madhouse, right? Just crazy. And we have five people. There's six in our family. One, My other, Dean, he's right up here. He was with the band uh, long story, but anyway, we're in L X, crazy. we you know we haul our luggage through. We take the rental car back. We go through security, it's nuts. And then we get to the gate area, and you, you know you know the drill. When you're at the gate area, you're like, okay, we, we got to find a chair, right? We got to find a seat, and it's nuts. So we, we see over there. There's like three chairs. There's five of us, but three is good, right? So we run over and dump all our stuffs on the chair. And Annette, my wife, she goes to get in the Starbucks line, which is crazy. I take Zoe over to the bathroom area, and uh, my two oldest sons, Turner, stayed and sat in one of the seats, and then my other son was talking to a friend. And as my son, Turner, was sitting in the seat, you know, on his phone, he's 18, on his phone, this guy comes over to him and says, hey, are these seats taken? You know, and I'm sure he was really, you know, jovial about it, you know, 18, 18 early in the morning, through the airport, you know. But he said, no, I'm sorry, these, these seats are taken. And uh, there's this guy with kind of curly hair, and he had a saxophone case. And he's like, and Turner said, no, the seats are taken. So the guy leaves. He goes, oh, okay, thank you, he leaves. And my other son runs over to him. He's going, do you know who that was? Any guesses? Kenny G. <laughs> Somebody knows the music. yeah. Uh. Nobody really wants to admit they listen to Kenny G. <laughs> but you know what? Turner's like, yeah, there was Kenny G. So he runs and like chases him down and stops him and says, are you Kenny G? He's like, he's like, yeah. He goes, oh, man, you come take the seats. He's like, no, I don't need to take the seats. And <laughs> he's like, I'm a big fan of yours. And he's like, you're not a big fan of mine. You're way too young. But the funny thing is he is. He's, he's on his, and my, my 16-year-old son Dean is here. He listens to Kenny G actually all the time. So it was kind of a funny dude. I think there's a picture to prove it. There he is right there. Isn't that funny? That's kind of a scary picture. You can take it down. Uh, (laughs) Who else has met somebody famous? Who'd you meet? Jeff Harding? Harding? Who's Jeff Harding? A wrestler. Awesome. Who else has met somebody famous? Who'd you meet? Sweet. A lot of wrestlers. Awesome. Stone Cold Steve Austin's brother. Oh, that's awesome. That's even better. <laughs> Who have you met? Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne. Wow. That's like amazing. How did you meet? O- Maybe I shouldn't ask how you met Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Who would you meet? You met Drew Carey on The Price is Right. Did you win anything? Oh, no, man. Oh, that's fun. Anybody else? Who have you met? Dave Matthews. Awesome. That's really cool. Okay, a couple more. Who else? Go, ahead. Paul Newman. Oh, that's really cool. He's a big star in the back. Meryl Streep. Wow, that's really impressive. She's going to be on the Oscars tonight, right? Isn't that tonight? The Oscars. Okay, one more. Who did you meet? Marcus. Who? Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen. Very nice. Former Chiefs and Raiders player, right? Uh, well, speaking of football, I got another story. Annette and I were in Indianapolis, and um, I might just tell stories about meeting famous people all morning. Is that okay? <laughs> we were in Indianapolis for a band competition. Uh, my kids are in band, and we were, we were there. And, and so Annette and I, when we're at these places, when we travel, we like to kind of, we don't like to do all the touristy stuff, so we usually try to find some cool local coffee shop, not Starbucks, and you know, they're always way too hip for me, but I like good coffee. So I go in, and, and then we ask, well, what, what's a good restaurant to eat? And in Indianapolis, this, this person, this barista, right, see, I, I know coffee lingo, um, said there's this cool restaurant in this really neat area. It's called the Black Market. If you're ever in Indianapolis, go go eat there. It's really cool. And they described it. It's like this, ta- it's, they said it's really cool. It's, it's kind of a happening place, and it's got a community table. And I don't know if you've ever eaten a restaurant with a community table, but it's like, a big long table with chairs all the way around it and you sit there like you're with your party but you're sitting right next to another party you know people here and people next to you and everybody just sits around the table and you eat it's kind of cool so we go there and we're waiting for our table and we're talking to this other couple you know while they're getting our table ready and and this guy and this other couple says hey Andrew Luck is in there I'm like oh I, I didn't see him That that's cool Andrew Luck if you don't know is a Uh, football player in the NFL, he plays for the Indianapolis Colts, he was a number one draft pick a few years ago out of Stanford, a superstar in the NFL, right, and in in Indianapolis, I mean, he's like a super duper star, like he's everything, right, and they were all excited, I'm like, oh, that's cool, and about that time, the lady comes and says, here, come, we got your seats, and do you mind sitting in the community table, and we're like, no, we don't mind, it's kind of fun. So I sit on this side of the table, and that's right across from me on this side, and there's a group over here you know a party of like four over here and there's a party of like five people here and it was andrew luck and it was it was his his left tackle uh andrew costanzo and then a couple other people with him and i literally they she literally sat me right down i mean like right next to andrew luck i'm like bumping elbows with the guy and Annette's right next to anthony costanzo you know bumping elbows with him and they were really great they were really nice they initiated conversation you know why are you here, what are you doing, and we told him, like, oh, good luck, and we talked for just a minute, I mean, really classy young guys, and, and then, you know, then we went on and did our thing, and, and, but it was interesting sitting next to him, because I got a little glimpse into his world, you know, because people were, you know, were acting like, you know, they're, they're walking by, going like this with their phones, like, snap, you know, snapping pictures, or acting like they're doing a selfie, come here, and they're, like, doing this and getting him, you know. Uh, or looking over and whispering, like, oh, you know, that's, so, uh, you know, his, his life must be kind of crazy, but we talked to him, for, and they left after a few minutes, and then, and then we kind of became stars, like, people came over, like, oh, you sat next to Andrew Luck, what was that like, you know, uh, was he cool, was he nice, yeah, he was great, uh, even the owner and the chef came out, and like, oh, I heard you were sitting next to Andrew Luck, and uh, it was kind of funny, and then, so Annette and I left, and we're heading back, walking back to the hotel, and And uh, she's like, oh, that was really cool that I got to sit right next to Andrew Luck. And I'm like, babe, I was sitting right next to Andrew Luck. You were sitting right next to Anthony Costanzo. She's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't say anything. But (laughs) (laughs) he probably would have felt bad. But isn't that, you know, uh, sometimes we don't even know who we're exactly meeting when we meet famous people. But anyway, you know, meeting famous people is fun, fun stories. I really want to hear that Ozzy Osbourne story sometime, but, you know, <laughs> uh, it's fun and exciting, kind of neat to talk about, but, but uh, very seldom when we meet famous people does it really impact our life all that much, right? <laughs> it doesn't even impact our day that much. It just gives us a fun story to tell. But when people met Jesus, it did change their lives. It changed their destiny. It changed their eternity. Uh, in preparation for talking to you guys today, I, I listened to the last few sermons uh, in that series of wonder that Justin and Bob preached about, and, and, uh, and I was really fascinated learning about the word behold, right? that word that means to look upon with wonder and awe, to fix our eyes upon, to focus and comprehend, right? to really pay attention, to see beauty and appreciate it. And it made me think about those people who met Jesus as he traveled across the countryside. You know, not the ones that merely, you know, came in contact with him, but the ones who really beheld him, right? Who looked on him uh, with wonder and awe, who saw him and understood the significance of his life. And there were many, right? Last week, Bob told, I think it was last week, or one of those sermons, Bob talked about The woman with the alabaster jar, right? You know? I mean, she met Jesus. She beheld him, right? And she saw him with wonder and awe, and it caused her to to worship like lavishly and extravagantly and even foolishly. She met Jesus, she beheld him, and it changed her life forever. There was Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the middle of the night. There's a woman at the well The demon-possessed man in the tombs. The little man up in the tree. The paraplegic man lowered by his buddies through the roof. The fisherman at his net. The list goes on and on. These people who met Jesus and their lives were changed forever. And one of these meetings is in this verse, the verses we just read earlier from Luke chapter 18. Um, And at this point... Jesus and, um, sorry, my phone acted up on me. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, right? Scripture said that they'd set their mind on Jerusalem and to Jesus' destiny on the cross there. And they were passed, on their way to Jerusalem, they passed through this town of Jericho. And Jericho at that time was, it's actually one of the oldest cities in that whole region. But Jericho at that time was really just a happening place. Um, a lot was going on. It was an important town on a major trade route. It was the last stop on that trade route before you got to Jerusalem. Uh, and a lot of people passed through there. A ton of people would pass through there. There was always processions going by. And it was known, it was beautiful, balmy. It was right next to this major uh, freshwater spring. And it was known for these, these um, fruit plantations and it smelled good. The, the name Jericho actually meant uh, perfume. Interesting fact. Um, and the Bible tells us about two men that Jesus met in Jericho. In uh, Luke chapter 19, we read about Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man. Anybody sing that song anymore? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Um, Zacchaeus, and then we learn about uh, what we just read about in Luke 18, in cha- that chapter about the blind beggar. And both of these men had trouble seeing Jesus. Of course, for different reasons, right? And both of them were impeded by the crowd. The crowd made it difficult for them to see Jesus. Alistair Begg um, says that the disciple who impedes the way to the master is surely a contradiction in terms. But these guys were impeded and the blind beggar was having a tough time seeing Jesus. He couldn't see him, obviously, because he was blind and the crowd was in his way. But he could hear, right? He could hear the crowd going by. He could hear them talking as they, as they passed by. And he heard them, and he asked them what was going on. And, and, and one of the guys said, is Jesus of Nazareth passing by? And he's like, Jesus of Nazareth? And I'm sure this blind beggar had heard about him before. He'd heard that this Jesus was making all kinds of of pretty outlandish claims, that people were speculating about who he was and what he was about, and he had heard that he healed people. So in that scuttlebutt, as the crowd passed by, he started to shout out, right? He began shouting. Now, he was a blind beggar, so it probably wasn't unusual for him to cry out. Matter of fact, he cried out every day. And the people around him were familiar with his voice. They were used to him crying out. He was begging. He even had a title. Bartimaeus the Blind. Hey, who's making all that noise? Oh, that's Blind Bart. He's here every day yelling out. Begging. And that's true. Blind Bart, probably, I'll call him Blind Bart, uh, probably woke up that morning like he did every morning, probably right there on the street, it's where he slept. And that day was going to be like every other day for him. He'd ask people for money. He'd get a little, some spare coins, some scraps of food. Some people would stop and talk to him and be kind. Some people would be cruel to him. But mostly he was ignored and probably barely tolerated there. And they were used to him crying out. And every day, he would wake up, do his thing, go to sleep at night, knowing that the next day would be the same thing, wake up, do his thing, go to sleep at night. He'd go to bed, close his eyes with little hope for change, zero ability to change the circumstances of his life, zero prospects for a better life. For a hope or a future, every day was the same for him. But that day, he sensed something different in the buzz of the crowd. So he began calling out. But this time he didn't call out for cash or food or help. He cried out in an extraordinary way for him. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's an interesting term, the son of David. And A little bit later, when Jesus entered Jerusalem for his triumphal entry, right, that's what the crowds yelled to him. Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then later, when Jesus was, the scripture tells us that Jesus was in the temple courts, and the children were singing out, Hosanna, Son of David! And the religious leaders experienced extreme indignation, scripture says. (laughs) Because it was a messianic designation. These children were crying out, affirming the messiahship of Jesus, and the religious leaders did not like it. You know, earlier, remember, he had asked the guy what was going on, and the guy said, hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth passing by. Now, I think you all know that, that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So the, 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 uh, the term Jesus of Nazareth was not a term of endearment. It was kind of a term of, in, of disdain, you know. Jesus of Nazareth, you know. It's like when people here in this area find out that I'm a Denver Broncos fan, you know. That guy's a Broncos fan, you know. They are like, Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, yeah, But he didn't say that. He cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bart couldn't see with his eyes, but he recognized who Jesus was. And when he recognized who Jesus was, when he beheld him, two things became really clear in his mind. Number one, He was in need of mercy. He needed mercy. He knew that he was hopeless and helpless with no ability to change his own circumstances. Day after day, he would beg with no prospects of change, no hope for a better life, no ability to impact his own circumstances or his future. He needed mercy. And the second thing that became very clear in his mind was that Jesus had the ability to meet his need. You know, that crowd, there's a lot of people in that crowd. They were all there for different reasons. Some were kind of selling their wares. Some were just trying, curious to see what the hubbub was all about. Some were maybe hoping for a spare miracle. Some were probably there trying to catch Jesus messing up so they could accuse him. But in spite of all that crowd, in the middle of it, Bart saw Jesus for who Jesus really was. And he came to this conclusion, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So he shouted out. He cried out. Verse 39 tells us that, uh, let's see, I missed it. Verse 39, If you can put it back up so we can look at it. That'd be great. It says, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He was shouting, and those in the front of the procession, up there right there by Jesus uh, said, rebuked him, said, shut up. Who do you think those people were? Who was at the front of the crowd, do you think? The disciples, exactly. They were up there in front with Jesus, you know, clearing the crowd and protecting him and and ready to to meet his needs, whatever he needed. And these guys hear this guy causing a ruckus, and they're like, shut up. We don't know why they did this. Maybe they were in a hurry, you know. Maybe the shouting was kind of not decorum, right, you know, kind of like raising your hand and singing hallelujah in the middle of worship at a Baptist church. You know, it's like, ooh, we don't do that here. You know, a little rowdy, (laughs) right. (laughs) Or maybe it was because they were afraid that that, uh, you know, that messianic phrase would put a target on Jesus' head, You know, like, oh, keep it down, the the religious leaders hear that, they're going to want to kill him. I actually think that's probably being pretty generous to the disciples to give him that motivation. You know, maybe Jesus was walking and talking and they couldn't hear what he was saying, so they're like, shut up, i got to hear Jesus. But whatever it was, it wasn't nice, and they rebuked him. Be quiet, shut up. At that point, the question becomes, what's... What's blind Bart going to do now that he's been rebuked by the disciples? Well, picture yourself for a second in a train station waiting to catch a train. Nobody takes trains anymore, so maybe picture yourself in an airport. airport. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with the train analogy. Picture yourself in the train station waiting for a train, right? And, and you know that there's five more trains that are going to go by and get you to your destination. So you could always wait for the next one. But what if you knew that that was the last train going to where you needed to go? You're going to do whatever it takes, right? To get on that train. BB was not blind Bart. Was not going to miss that train. He wasn't going to let it pass. So his response was to shout more and louder. This was his moment. And even though they tried to shut him up, he said, I'm going to shout all the more. Because if I can only get to him, if I can catch his attention, he will show me mercy. So he makes a big ruckus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now Jesus hears him. What did he do? He looks at his disciples and he says, go get him. Whew. Awkward. Right? <laughs> These guys were probably pretty embarrassed at that point, right? Because Jesus kind of just reproved the reprovers. He stopped the whole procession. He said, go get him. Bring him to me. So the disciples with their tails between their legs probably go over to Blind Bart and they say, come on, Blind Bart. He's calling for you. In, Mark's, uh, uh, in Mark chapter 10, his his uh, version of this story, you know, his recollection of this story, he says that, he's, he's really descriptive. It, it says when they came over and, and told him that Jesus was calling for him, it's that he said that Blind Bart threw off his cloak, jumped up, and came to him. You know, like he just chucked it, jumped up, and ran in his blindness to Jesus, right? And Jesus asked him, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? And Blind Bart says, I want to see and Jesus said, see, open your eyes. Your faith has healed you. It wasn't really his faith that healed him, but his faith was the means by which he received his healing from Jesus. Blindbart cried out to Jesus to be healed, and Jesus showed him his mercy. Blindbart met Jesus, and his life was never the same. His life was forever changed. And you know, really, it's the same for us, right? When we meet Jesus, when we behold him, when we see him for who he really is, when we look upon him and comprehend and see his beauty and his wonder, we're never the same. When we meet Jesus, we become acutely aware of our need for mercy. And we understand that Jesus is the one who has the ability to meet our need. Our eyes are open, just like blind Bart. When we meet Jesus, we love and we worship extravagantly, almost foolishly. We begin to live in beauty, like the woman with the alabaster jar. When we meet Jesus, our hearts and our minds are changed, our priorities and our purposes become different. We do things that were previously out of character for us. Like Zacchaeus, that little man up in a tree. You know, when Jesus saw him up in the tree, Jesus said, come down. I'm going to come to your house and have dinner with you tonight. And scripture tells us that, that Zacchaeus and his whole family, his whole household were saved. And that he sold half of his possessions and gave it to the poor and everybody he cheated and he cheated a lot of people as the chief tax gatherer he, everybody he cheated he he paid him back four times he met jesus when we meet jesus we find ourselves doing things we've never done before things that were impossible before we met him like that young man that young paraplegic man that was lowered through the roof right by his friends and Jesus said, stand up and walk. And I'm sure in his mind he's like, Jesus, that's why I'm here. I can't. That's why they brought me here. I can't stand up and walk. But he said, stand up, pick up your pallet and walk. And he did. Because Jesus' word of command is also his word of enabling. When we meet Jesus, we find ourselves, uh, uh, we receive a new calling and a new purpose for living, Right? Like the fisherman with his nets full of fish. Peter. Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side. And he did and his nets were so full they could barely black, drag him up on the shore. And they got him up there and it was probably, they were high-fiving and going, man, this is the best catch we've ever had. This is great. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you think that's cool? Become a fisher of men. His whole life was changed. When we meet Jesus, we find peace and fulfillment. And we can stop looking for something, the next thing, the better thing to make us feel like we're fulfilled or make us to feel like we're okay or or make us feel like we're good enough. He gives us water that if we drink of it, we never have to thirst again like the woman at the well. But I want to warn you, when you meet Jesus, when you behold him and you're changed, You will face opposition from the crowd. The crowd told Blind Bart to shut up. The crowd told the woman with the alabaster jar that she was wasteful and foolish. The crowd grumbled that Zacchaeus wasn't good enough to hang out with Jesus and that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. They grumbled that Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. On and on, the crowd will always oppose. Question for you: Are you being drawn near by the crowd? Are you being impeded by the crowd? Now, maybe your crowd is the—it's people around you getting in the way of you meeting Jesus. But maybe your crowd is circumstances, trials, shame. Maybe your crowd is your past. But whatever it is, that crowd is going to try to get in the way. It's going to try to keep you from seeing him, to keep you from meeting Jesus. But take heart, because he is calling for you. He's calling for you above the noise of the crowd, he's calling for you in spite of the crowd. He will come with his mercy and he will meet your need. If you cry out for him, he will call out for you. I imagine, I can imagine there's probably two groups of people sitting here right now, out here, you guys. One group, perhaps, is saying, I've never met him. I've heard about him. I know some stuff about him. but I've never met him. I've never beheld him and been transformed. You might be thinking that, you know, I, I kind of always thought that I was okay, but now I'm starting to realize that I really need his mercy. Or like Blind Bart, you feel like every day is the same. Go to wake up every morning, go to bed at night with no hope for change. No prospects for a better life. And you realize. I need his mercy. It's probably one group. I think there's probably a second group in here that says, yeah, I have met him. I've met him and I've been transformed. I've been changed. But it's been a while. And the crowd has kind of crept back in. And the crowd is impeding me once again from seeing Jesus. The crowd's telling me to shut up. The crowd's telling me don't be foolish. The crowd is telling me that I'm not good enough. Whatever, it's getting in the way again. And you long to meet him once again, not for salvation, but for transformation. To behold him with wonder, like a child. Just like the disciples told Blind Bart, good news, on your feet, He's calling for you today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the hope and the insight that it gives us, Lord. I pray for the two groups of people today that might be sitting out here, Lord. I pray for that first group who, who say, you know, I've never met him, know about him, heard about him but I've never beheld him and been transformed. I pray that today would be that day, Lord. That they would cry out for mercy. And that they would know that Jesus, you, are the one with the ability to show them mercy. And Father, the second group, those of us who have met him and have been transformed, but it's been a while. And the crowd has started to creep back in to shout us down, to tell us to be quiet, to tell us to not be foolish or extravagant in our worship. God, I pray that you would hear us above the crowd and that we would be able to take heart, to cheer up, and to know that you are calling for us, that we would meet you again today and be transformed anew. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.